All right, everybody, welcome back to the Sex and Marriage series. Our anticipated Q&A episode is here. It's ready. Let's just jump right in. From far beyond, we have Q&A question. Are the Catholics right about birth control? Should all forms of prophylactics be avoided? My answer to that is they are half right. I believe that surgeries and hormones and various quote-unquote medications and pills used for birth control are bad. They rely on the exact same logic that's peddled to people with gender dysphoria. Oh, you have something you want to do. I know. Let's mess up your body and screw up your endocrine system so that you can have sex. See, that's, that's no bueno. But when it comes to uh, condoms, to other sex acts that are not procreative, there's nothing in the Bible that says that they are sinful. Nothing. If I'm going to be a consistent sola scriptura Lutheran, I'm going to say that if I look at a couple who is in a cardboard box, and I see that they're a married couple, I don't scream at them for using birth control. See, that's part of the whole fertility cult thing. When people tell a homeless couple or somebody that is so impoverished that they are living paycheck to paycheck minus, meaning they just incur debt every month, telling these people, add another baby into the mix. Don't worry, it'll be fine. Just trust God. I'm not going to help you. Just trust God. To tell somebody that condom use is sin is to bind souls to something that is not in the Bible. So Catholics get it half right, at least as far as hormones are concerned, as far as surgeries, like a woman getting her tubes tied or a guy getting a vasectomy. Yeah, those are no bueno. Those are not good. I would say outside of like PCOS diagnoses in women, probably sinful for people to do those things. They shouldn't be, and you should be open to a child. We don't want to go into the infertility cult side of the spectrum where people refuse to have children or they punish children for being conceived. Now, he has another question. Are you just supposed to keep having kids until your wife can't get pregnant anymore? Some people would say that that is ideal. The Bible doesn't command that. We're told, go forth and multiply, that's a command that people really don't have a problem doing. And if you have a kid with your wife, you have multiplied. Congratulations. You have fulfilled that general commandment given to all of humanity. Nobody can tell you, just have eight kids. Have ten kids. Just keep having babies until you can't have babies anymore. That's not my job to tell you to do that. You have freedom as a married Christian man to, along with your wife, make informed choices regarding the number of children that you have. I will say, it's good to have a lot of kids. It is wise to have a lot of kids. Families with lots of kids end up being happier in the long run if they do it right. But if some delusional birth worshiper says, no, you have to have a billion D kids. Remember, this individual will not take responsibility for the families that fall apart on account of people taking their advice. If there is a family that has seven kids and it is so stressful that 
Well, the husband turns to drinking to help out with his stress, and the wife begins having a benzo problem because nobody's helping. Nobody that told them to have all these kids is volunteering to assist. Nobody's babysitting, and oh my, in the year of our Lord 2023, people have to move far away from their support networks in order to make ends meet. They are not going to say, I'm sorry I gave you horrible advice that helped destroy your family. You will never hear those words coming out of their mouths. They will always say it was your fault, this is your problem. Your divorce, your fault. Doesn't matter what happens. Your problems, your family blowing up, eh, it's your fault, 100%. Oh, your kid becomes apostate at 27 years old, eh, it's your fault. You didn't do my advice right, you see, even if you took all of my advice hook, line, and sinker. They will never take responsibility for that, so you do not have to listen to them tell you X, Y, or Z thing that isn't in the Bible is sin or not sin. My advice, walk in freedom, walk in wisdom. Here's a third question. How do you deal with family members, parentheses, boomers, judging you for having lots of kids? Will you be nice to them and respectful to them? If they're your family members, you are called to honor your father and your mother. And you can respectfully disagree with them as they tell you, why didn't you focus on your career? Well, the answer is, mom and dad, you know, we really wanted to have a lot of kids. And they can make fun of you for it. They can chide you, but just take it on the cheek and be patient with them. Remember, they grew up in a totally different world where they got pure, unleaded, hyper blasts of propaganda telling them to not have kids and they have internalized it very very badly all right now moving on to the next question from wisco kraut he says hello pastor hi i'm a young man in college currently seeking a wife my local parish is wonderful unfortunately there is a dearth of eligible young women and the nearest wells congregation is several hours away Thus, I have turned my focus to the ladies of the university. In doing so, I have noticed an interesting trend, namely that there is a surprisingly small amount of women engaging in truly promiscuous behavior. However, there is a large number of them who signal as such simply out of the prevailing fashion, revealing clothing, stupid jewelry, dyeing the tips of their hair purple, etc., Thus, there are ladies that, by action, are seemingly quite eligible, chaste, kind, pleasant, winsome. However, they are dressed in some truly inappropriate manners. My question is, do you think such a lady is a reasonable pursuit or a forbidden woman? I generally treat such behavior as not a deal-breaker, but needing work. And as I've seen many times, a man with a spine can correct most of these habits with little effort and generally great results. Also, a second thought, that if your GF submits to your desire that she wears more modest clothing without much fuss, she probably will be far less rebellious in other matters. So first off, my Wisco friend, you are correct. Just because somebody follows the fashion trends and fads that they're engaged in because they don't know any better, that's okay. It's obviously not a good thing, but it's something you can approach that individual and start pursuing them in the hopes that maybe they stop dressing like a floozy. 
Absolutely. And if she goes along with you saying like, hey, you don't need to be wearing belly shirts or, you know, those yoga pants, they're making me think funny. <laughs> Could you wear like a long skirt instead? If she goes along with that, then you not only have somebody who is being submissive, right? A good marriage candidate, but also this individual cares about you. You want a wife that does care about you, right? And having a girlfriend that cares about you, that wants you to be a righteous man and a good leader, that's a keeper. Now he ends here with an asterisk. I should not, I am not, using a truly Christian definition of chaste, which essentially should mean virgin until marriage, namely in that I in no way resemble such a state and as such feel like an enormous hypocrite for judging so harshly that a woman slept with her single boyfriend in high school or something. I admit this may be an unwise stance, however, and I, of course, would prefer a virgin bride. God be with you, WK. Well, first off, everybody wants chastity. We also all really want lots and lots and lots of sexual activity. It's part of the duality of mankind, especially as a Christian, where God has made your heart new, so you want chastity and you want to be married to somebody who is chaste. But at the same time, we still have, you know, urges. Men and women both have them at equal amounts, if not more on the women's part. That's okay to say that you have standards. She's going to have standards. Both of you are going to try your best to meet those standards if you can talk and kind of negotiate, really bring it up. I digress. Next question. Question for sex and marriage Q&A. From J.R. Having listened to most sex and marriage episodes, you have recommended a period of about half a year of courtship, and after that, at most half a year of engagement before the knot should be tied for good. Yes, I have. I am not quite doing courtship in the way a good Christian is supposed to, as my girlfriend has shown little restraint when it comes to tempting me during this period, and I have been inadequately staunch in resisting your advances, from an ideal Christian perspective at least. Dude, if you're having sex with her, just say that you're having sex with her, and if you're doing that, you need to repent and stop it. Marriage is going to fix the problem that you just created for yourself if you've been doing sexual favors for each other, but just go ahead and say it. I remember I was a sailor. I was in the Navy. Trust me, I've heard worse language than I've been having sex with my girlfriend. But I digress. He says, the question that I do have for your Q&A session is about how I might convince my girlfriend to get engaged at something resembling the pace that was mentioned at the start of the email. I recently asked her about how long into our relationship she would find it appropriate for me to propose, and she replied around two years. I generally am a patient man, and I could bring myself to wait those years if I had to, but I am in my late 20s, she's in her mid-20s, and I fear that she currently still sees herself as barely out of her teens and is therefore hesitant to do the formalities that indicate maturity, such as actually being engaged or married to your partner. To her credit, our relationship is still a relatively recent development in our lives, but I still think that two years is quite long to wait until just the engagement. Is it reasonable for me to try and nudge her into accepting engagement sooner than she is currently comfortable with? And is there any way you would recommend going about it? Best regards, J.R. Okay. And don't worry, J.R., 
I understand your request to stay anonymous so your friends don't call you a fake cell. <laughs> All right, here's what I want you to try out. And this is up to you. It's something to pray about, but meet her family, hang out with her family, get a great relationship with them going. If you want this woman, you want to marry her, you see a future with her, this is what you should do. Start a great relationship with her family and hang out with them on and off for six months. Be a good potential son-in-law. Now, while you're doing that, be the best boyfriend that you can possibly be. Take this girl to church or have house church if you're using very Lutheran project resources. We are at your service for that. Make sure that that happens regularly. This girl should be having lots of Bible in her life, right? And show her lots of love. I want you to do this for six months. Be an awesome potential son-in-law and be an awesome boyfriend. I mean, if she's got a problem, if she has something that she needs fixed around her apartment or something, you're the first one to go get it done there. If she needs help with driving somewhere, you're the guy doing it. You're surprising her with gifts. You're making sure to have an hour to three hours of conversation with her all the time. Get her bonded to you. Show her that you are husband material without bringing it up. Then at the end of six months, what you can do is have a nice, planned out, awesome date where you can propose after you have gotten permission from her family. Now, why do I say family? Well, the reason for that is, A, it's an honorable thing to do. But also, if your girlfriend hears you propose to her and she says, I need some time to think about it, her family can back you up and support her in making the decision to enter the covenant of marriage. That's my recommendation if you want a concrete strategy for getting this girl to tie the knot with you. If she is really worth it, then that is the way to go about it. Again, she thinks of herself as a kid. Treat her like an adult, but in a loving, caring way that shows the leadership a husband needs to show. All right, next email from N. Show question. I have a question for your show, kind of relates to me personally. If a man can't have kids medically, is it wrong to seek to marry a younger woman who can? Or vice versa, would it be better for such a man to remain single if he can't find a woman in a similar medical situation? Please delete after reading. Will do, sir. Somebody is going to tell you, if you ask anybody else, they're going to point to Malachi chapter 2, in which our Lord says, starting in verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Somebody would read that and tell you the purpose of marriage itself is bebes. You have to have babies. So if you're infertile, guess what, sir? You shouldn't be getting married ever. Just be celibate. When people say that, don't believe them. Just don't. In fact, I would never speak to a person like that again because they are denying that you are a human being or a person with his own interests. St. Paul remains vindicated and is still binding on us 
when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 and 9, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. If you have a sex drive, you can go get married. Even if you're infertile, right? Marriage isn't just for baby making. You don't have to worry about that as your number one priority. It is okay to say, I want a wife. I want a wife who is attractive. Now, regarding whether you need to seek out women who are, I don't know, past menopause or something, for whether or not you can court them, that really depends on you on what your conscience is saying. If you feel like you would be depriving a young, fertile woman of children, if that is a medical condition that you have that cannot be fixed, that you can't work on, okay, maybe that's something you'd want to do, is start hanging out with older women who are past childbearing years, maybe. But that's, it's a matter of conscience and freedom, really. It's up to you. Scripture does not lay a command on you that says, if you are infertile, therefore you can't get married. And the scripture does not say, if you are infertile as a man, you cannot seek just any woman, right? But if you have a sex drive, if you have a longing for union and marriage with a woman, seek one out and look where your conscience allows you to look. Think about it, pray about it, and go with your conscience. Just understand that it's not technically a sin for you as a man who can't have kids to marry a woman who can. Just understand there might be some difficulties down the line if that is the case. Now, we have from uh, DVD, the Disc Man, sex and marriage question. Hello, sir. I'll keep this email brief for your sake. What is the best way to prepare for proposing, and what is the proper way to prepare for marriage and the wedding? Glory to God and blessings to you, DVD. When it comes to proposals, I can only speak from personal experience, so take this with a little bit of a grain of salt. When I was getting ready to prepare to propose to my now wife, I was kind of goofy about it, right? I invited her to travel states, we were long distance at the time, and I invited my now mother-in-law to come with her, and I hinted that it'd be something big, but I wouldn't say what. And if they asked, oh, is he going to propose? I went, ha, 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 I'm a mystery. And then I got my brother to help me out in uh, getting some treasure chest type stuff and put it in a park, and I told my wife I had found missing pirate treasure. And I went out, and that was where the ring was. <laughs> there was a bunch of, like, chocolate coins and stuff, and... Uh, cheap jewelry I had found from Goodwill. We made it fun, goofy, you know, just enjoyable because I know that that's what my girl likes. Something enjoyable, not uh, too serious. But your girl might be different. It's good to just know her. You want to know who she is and what she likes. If she wants a romantic, nice dinner, okay. But it is good to talk to her family and ask for her hand in marriage so that you don't have problems down the line with that family as your in-laws. Now regarding preparing for marriage, 
before the engagement is done, I would say go through it. I offer some premarital counseling or at least talking with people saying, all right, you're getting ready for marriage. Let's talk about the issues there. Let's make sure everything's copacetic before you finally tie the knot. It's good to go through a church. Nothing wrong there. I would say don't live together. Don't have sex. Don't screw it up. The engagement period is the most crucial period because if you go through with it the right way, you're stepping off on the right foot in your marriage when it begins. If you screw it up, well, now both of your hearts are way more broken because you got really, really, really close to getting married and then didn't. Or you screwed up and then you did get married and now you have problems that you're going to have to deal with for a long time. So please be careful and go through the church if you can. If you've got a house church, that would be your deacon or lay leader that would provide that. And he can come and email me, talk to me, and we can work on something. Now moving on to a nice Greek gentleman going by the name Bofades. Hey, what if any is the difference between finding a date at church versus in the wild, so to speak? Well... Well, the answer is you want to marry a Christian girl, and where do good Christian girls who are worthy of marriage go? They go to churches. Supposedly. That's how it's supposed to be, right? But out in the wild, you're taking your chances with any female that you meet. He continues, I feel limited with my interactions at church, especially with Lutheran churches not being known for their fellowship activities. Yep, that's true. The Lutheran Church has failed the young people and isn't doing what they ought to to make sure these young people get married. And then they wonder why their churches are dying. <laughs> so, yeah, you could talk to your pastor and say, Hey, I'm burning with passion. I'm told to go get a wife. Could I get some help with that? So that the temptation is greatly lessened, etc. and so forth. If he's willing to play ball... And if he's willing to get the church helping you out with people that you know and that they know, great. Otherwise, you did say this. He writes, Since LCMS churches I've been to struggle with fellowship, and meeting women with a cold approach might make me look bad in that church, I've thought of going to my early service and then a later lower church with more fellowship options, but I don't know if that's a great idea. I'd appreciate your opinion on that. There's nothing sinful with going to a second church, even if it's an evangelical church where more young ladies are likely to be. If you're still getting the sacrament, you still want to go to your Lutheran church, get the word and sacrament, right? But I would say it is good to first go through your church, talk with your LCMS Lutheran pastor to see if they are willing to help. If you give them that opportunity, that's going to look better overall, especially if there are nice, eligible young ladies that maybe they could do a bit more fellowship time. Now, going on here from a short-term email, hello, marriage Q&A. Sorry for the disposable email, no apologies necessary, uh, but we live in clown world. Yes, we do, sir. Call me Jim. Hi, Jim. You don't need to and can't respond, so this is just show fodder. 
Question for your marriage Q&A. How should we respond as Christians when our friends or loved ones are in marriages that are quote-unquote on the rocks? Praise Christ a billion times over, my marriage is 10 years and going strong, but I have had many situations where friends or family have been in bad relationships. I know that cheerleading a divorce is a big sin. Yes, it is. And there is no shortage of home-wrecking morons out there who will do just that. But there are times when someone has married a hidden mental case or someone who develops an addiction and a mean streak, things like that. Men and women have come to me in a traumatized state not knowing what to do. I think your listeners, he says parishioners really, would like to know what to do in those situations. I know, and I'm sure you will agree, that the world wants us to say, dump the lady, or do you want to be in the situation in 20 years? But we are called to higher answers and better things. What higher answers and what better things? Well, first off, marriage is a sacred covenant, with only adultery being the thing that can break it off, or abandonment by a pagan spouse. Those are the only legitimate reasons for a divorce to happen, and for remarriage to even be a possibility. So when somebody comes and tells you, my marriage is on the rocks, the thing to do is to offer to help. Maybe it's on the rocks because they haven't been doing the deed, the, the bedroom life is suffering. They need date night. Maybe you could offer to watch their kids for a night so they can, you know, get out of town for a bit. If it's just having somebody to talk to, a shoulder to cry on because of how bad it is, and somebody to help them endure a rough season in life, you could be there for them. Obviously, if a situation is dangerous, there is a case for separation, not divorce. The person who separates from their spouse who is abusive or scary or drug addicted, when somebody does that, they are not to go seeking another partner. And they are to try to fix it if they can, if that is tenable. But you are there as a friend to tell them when it gets that bad and to pray for it. So when somebody comes at you asking for advice or telling you their marriage is on the rocks, your job as their neighbor in that moment is to love them by offering to help, offering to listen, and trying your best to help your neighbor preserve their marriage. That is in obedience to the sixth commandment. Do not commit adultery. The flip side of that is also helping your neighbor with their marriage. Now concluding the email, he says, Incidentally, you are doing a bang-up job. The Paul Tillich series blew my mind when I realized that the modern church came from somewhere and that somewhere was a perverted poop bag who wanted to be cool and figured that theology was as good a stage as any. That's it. That's all there is to it. Anyway, best to you and to Mr. Poland. Well, thank you very much, brother. I appreciate that you are enjoying it. Now, an individual named The Ride Never Ends sent me an email saying, Woman question right in. <laughs> he says, Apologies in advance for the long-form question. Feel free to paraphrase it or just answer it in a way that fits within the format of the show. 
It's coming to the general public's notice that a woman's amount of prior quote-unquote partners is significantly higher now than ever before. Recent studies conducted by both independent researchers and family-related groups have shown a correlation between higher numbers of sexual partners and an increase in divorce. It's also generally accepted that young men are not serial fornicating in their communities the way that young women are. Understanding this, nearly all churches seem to still recommend that young men take a chance with these kinds of women for fear of being overly judgmental of a woman's past. After all, everyone has the ability to repent, but repentance cannot undo lasting psychological damage caused by promiscuity. How should young men approach marriage or even dating, knowing the high likelihood that multiple men have already shared this woman prior? As a man in his mid-30s, the dating pool I deal with seems like it's almost 50% single mothers. The rational approach is acknowledging that our women are under attack. How can we counter this programming that tells them promiscuity is something to celebrate when they're unwilling to listen even to other women that try to explain their own previous missteps? I'm asking in hopes that this might help another young man. As for myself... I haven't spoken to a woman with any romantic intent for nearly 15 years, as it almost seems like a waste of time. Well, Mr. Ride Never Ends, first off, that's not too long of an email. That's what we're here for doing the Q&A. Second, we need a dose of humility. A man with a porn problem is less likely to have strong marriages. Porn use has been cited in many cases for marriages crumbling. So you have women who have a past, maybe they had what's called a hoe phase, where they're just sleeping with a bunch of dudes. And that's obviously incredibly bad, right? But then we have all these guys saying, that means I don't know if I can trust a woman. Have you considered that there are women out there who would say, I don't know if I can trust a man. What if he's got a crippling pornography addiction? What if he has so many of these other problems that are destroying young men's marriages? On their part, okay, everybody at this point is going to have to find out their limits and they're going to have to talk. I am not going to tell you, go marry a woman with a body count of 300. Don't do the whole man up and marry these flighty promiscuous career gal women out there. I'm not telling anybody to do that. But you should be willing to ask yourself, what's my limit? If you've had one partner in the past and you're not dating them anymore, but you've had sex before you fornicated, and so has the girl that you've started dating, you two should be open about that. If you have a massive porn problem, if you have an addiction with that, something that you're working on and repenting of, Maybe a girl that you're dating has some bodies in her closet, so to speak, that you should be able to say, okay, we both have some issues here. We need to conquer this together. Give people a little bit of grace if you can. If you have a block in your mind that says, nope, no hymen, no diamond, okay, but adjust your expectations accordingly and don't get upset if it's so unlikely that you're not seeing potential candidates for dating, courtship, and then marriage. The more stringent your standards are going to be, 
the more difficult of a time you're going to have finding someone that meets them. And even then, you're also going to have to learn to find out the information you want without chasing somebody away, right? Nobody's going to date the guy that walks around with a sign saying, virgin wanted. <laughs> Chances are that's just not going to happen. But if you adjust your expectations accordingly and ask yourself what you are willing to tolerate, then you can move forward with that with realistic expectations and understanding how hard you're going to have to work to get the particular woman you want. As for single mothers, if you are open to marrying a single mother, you'd better vet her to make sure she is not just looking for a paycheck to pay for her and her mistakes. Yes, a child is by nature not a mistake, but a child can be a product of a woman's indiscretion and mistakes, her sleeping around with men she should not have been sleeping around with. Is she putting herself on the market to date people with just a demand, somebody be a good man and provide for me and my family? Well, okay, that woman is not going to love you for you. She is not going to see herself as your wife. She is going to see you as her ATM. That's not healthy. That is a toxic dynamic. But if you're open to the idea of dating a single mother, then I would hope that you are discerning enough to not just say, I'm going to date any one of them. No, date a woman who isn't just putting herself out there saying, somebody pay for me and my babies. And we're all really hungry, so... Uh, buy us KFC and spoil me and make six figures. Women like that are unrealistic thinkers. It's downright delusional for somebody to have a kid and then expect people to spoil them rotten. But if you meet a woman who's humble, who's open, who cares about the Lord, and maybe she's a widow or something like that, well, then you can get to know them. Especially if she is the one doing the bulk of taking care of this child that you are looking at potentially adopting. But that's it for the emails that I've gotten. Hopefully we will get enough later on for a wonderful second Q&A session. I had fun with that. I don't know about you guys. Now next week is probably going to be the last sex and marriage upload for a bit. So send me another email, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com if you have a topic suggestion for that. We will be coming back to the sex and marriage series I just need a little bit of time to get some uh, extra stuff done for the VLP. Anyway, I will catch you all next Monday. Our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.